This is Les McCurdy, McCurdy's Comedy Theater, Sarasota, Florida. We're sitting in the green room behind the stage where the comics hang out before they go up on stage. As a matter of fact, you can walk from the green room just right onto the stage. It sits in the middle of the stage and on the other side is the box office. And what you're going to hear is the conversation that the comics naturally have during the performance. That's what this is all about. It's not an interview. It's not a performance. It's just our conversation. Same as you sitting around with your friends, and it could go anywhere. It could be chaotic. It could go all over the place. It could be very specific. And remember, we're not experts on anything either. We're just having a nice conversation. That's what we do in the green room. That's what you want to be a part of, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the conversation. <laughs> so we're just sitting here. We uh, our first podcast. Our first podcast. We're getting started a little bit early. Actually, we weren't supposed to start for five minutes, but we know what, what the shit. We're, we're here. We're here. Well, at least three of us are here. The headliners are here. That's where it always works. That's where we're headliners here. always fashion. But, uh, Mike Stevens is here. He's our producer. He's here and a comedian. What's up? And then Bull, Bill, or, 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 Bill O.C. 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 I don't think I've ever said your last name till right now. Most people don't. You know, because he just goes by Bull. And I'm Les McCurdy, McCurdy's Comedy Theater. And uh, this podcast is not an interview. It's just a conversation. We're sitting in the green room. But back, the green room in McCurdy's is right behind the stage. We can actually walk onto the stage from the green room. And, uh, and so you might hear a little bit ambient sound of the show going on. It'll just be our conversation. As a matter of fact, the only other green room I ever played, which was like situated like this, was uh, there used to be the Comedy Corner in West Palm Beach. Andrew Dorfman owned it. And, uh, it, oh, and before that, I forget the guy's name, it was Phantasma. Productions, which does all the big concerts, they actually had that club, and uh, and Renee Hart, who's big with the improvs over in Palm Beach now, and a lot of the improvs, she was a waitress there, and they had a little room with a with a regular door, just a regular door, right. and the door opened to the stage, so you walked out a door onto the stage from there, and uh, but it was like a box, it didn't have right. much uh, the hot neck. Yes, it, yeah, it felt a little. But anyway, we were just we were just talking to Bill, which goes by Bull. And the fact that Mike, you you were said today, you can find anything on. Well, I, I probably shouldn't have Google searched Bull. But, uh, <laughs> uh, that'll pop up as only half a word. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, I didn't get much. Didn't get very far on it. But, right. But you were just saying you don't get you don't have much out there because you're on you a lot of church church uh, shows. Yeah, I do I do a lot of the church shows with the H two O comedy troupe with uh, Juanita Lolita and uh, Ron Hortman. So I do a lot with them. Um, church shows have kind of slowed down a little bit as of late, but you know they're they're fun. They're fun shows to do. I mean, we're typically we've performed for. Well over a thousand people at some of these churches. Oh yeah. It's, well, you were just saying you yeah. couldn't put your club stuff up on YouTube because yeah. YouTube because if churches see that, yep. it, wow. they yeah. go, we can't have you at the church, and vice versa. Yeah. You go to audition for somebody 
that's just regular, like even Carnival Cruise Lines, and yeah. Oh, yeah. then the church stuff doesn't blow. Well, the thing is, I mean, I have a reputation of being a fairly clean comic at the clubs, mm-hmm. but there's a big difference between pub clean and church clean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a really big difference. Yeah. There's some churches you can't even mention cigarettes or alcohol or something like you can't even mention anything like that on the stage mm-hmm. so yeah my my act it's not completely different but it's it's really squeaky clean i have material that i don't use on the regular stage here and i tried too i left after i left my first church show with all the super clean material i walked off i felt amazing and i'm like i am going to do this from now on and i went to the club that night after i got off a of church stage i went to a club that night and performed the exact same set Nothing. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? No. And the yeah. goof is, those are people, and, and I always say a lot of it's environment, because that same group of people could have seen you in a church and reacted totally exactly. differently. Exactly. You know? I mean, uh, uh, we, used, we used to, uh, we used to, and, and the same thing in that, uh, you know, I have people that come up, I go to a Presbyterian church here, and I have customers come up all the time, They're, it's a huge congregation. Yeah. And hey, yeah, we saw you in church, da da da. Or we go to that church on a Saturday night, and you got you got a comic who's motherfuckering and you know just everything, you know. And I'm gonna see you in church tomorrow, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's cool how our society now has gotten to the point where people are sophisticated enough. It's different. Now. That that language, they're they're past all. They understand that it's not. The sin is not in the word. The sin is in the intent. The it's concept. in the yes. Well, the intent the is the intent just to make you laugh and have some fun. Is the intent to be malicious and right. hurtful and you know what I mean? Well, the Christians that are hated so much today are our folks. That people are still remembering the way that our folks worshipped, and it's different now because a lot of Christians today. They don't have a problem with uh, gay people. They don't have a problem with it. Whatever you do behind your door, that's that's you. That's, oh, right. got nothing to do. It's got nothing to do with me and the way that I worship. And I, I think too many Christians are getting a really bad rap. As far as uh, the environment, you're right. I had to do a show with, um, gosh, who was it? It was me, Pete Derusha, and Ken Reed years ago. Ken Reed. Yeah, Ken Reed was the very first MC to bring me up on stage. He's, and he's got, he's a club owner now, too. Yeah, in Texas now, right? Texas now, oh, in wow. Houston. He's, he started in Minneapolis, and then now he's down to Houston. I mean, when Ken makes a change, he makes a change. Yeah. He went change. from Florida to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Houston. When he runs, he has to go several states. I don't know what the fuck he does, but he has to go states away. He's in the witness protection program. But we, uh, I had to do a Eric show. Meyer oh, has arrived, is. our uh, headliner. What's up? <laughs> and you did the same thing. We're all talking in the top of this bastard. Yeah, and it's the uh, uh, and the the speak the things in the front. I'm an idiot. <laughs> we are. Oh, good. you put it. I'm sorry. I actually got lost walking here. No, we don't care. <laughs> we're just talking about. He was just bull. Was just saying. We're talking about reiterating. reiterating we're talking about the. He couldn't, Mike couldn't find anything on Bull on the internet, and he's not on there because he does church shows, and he can't put shit up there in clubs for the churches won't use him, and vice versa. Uh, but he was talking about doing a show at a church and killing and going, <laughs> I'm going to do that same show tonight at the club. And he did, and nothing. <laughs> and we were talking about how the environment was the fact that you probably could have had many of those same people in the church, and they would have enjoyed it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sometimes environments the whole damn thing. Oh they, sure, 
Oh, sure. I did a. I, I was doing that show with uh, Ken Reed and Pete Derusha. It was a really small, small little uh, room, and there was probably 13, 14 people in the room. I went up as the MC, no attention whatsoever. They hated me. Uh, <laughs> Ken Reed went up. Nobody wanted Ken Reed. I went back up in between. Nobody wanted Ken Reed. Pete Derusha gets up there. <laughs> Pete Derusha gets up there and he goes, "Look, he goes after we finish the show." We're all driving to Clearwater because we have a second show over there. If you guys want to see me, I suggest you follow me to that club because I'm not performing here. And he walked off the stage. At the church? No, no. This was, oh, at the, this club. was at the club. Yeah, we had to do two clubs that night. What? The audience, the audience, they were pissed off, but the majority of the audience followed us back to Clearwater. <laughs> Every one of them had a great time. That's no we did the exact same material. Nothing changed. It was just a different environment, and they loved it. They came up and they, they said, oh, it was so much better with the crowd. Human beings are very overrated. <laughs> this is true. You went to Clearwater? That would be funny if you were like, I want to try my stuff with a Scientologist and said, yeah, see no, how this goes. Scientologists, you can't mess with them. You can feed them, but don't try to pet them because they won't bite you. <laughs> Comedy is one of those things. I remember telling my dad, I was like, man, I just bombed last night, but it was like a bar show in Daytona. My dad's like, you're, but what does it matter if you're funny? And I'm like, I don't know how to put it into words. If you're not a comedian and haven't lived it, it's like, I remember being at a club one time, the comedy store in LA, they have three rooms. I went up in the big room, greatest show of my life. I was a god among men, my ego's through the roof. And I walked down the hall, yeah. and they're like, hey, blah, blah, yeah. blah, didn't show up, go up. Same venue, same night, same jokes, 10 feet down the I went up and these people looked at me like, I just crapped on their dream. Like, it was, it was, and I was like, how? But it's also like, if in, you're in your head, or, the, or you say something and it doesn't get a laugh, and you're like, oh, they don't like me, or they're this or they're that, your energy's not the same. Right. So you think you're saying it the same, but you ain't, because they can feel that you're not confident. Right, right. Well, and when you say that, when you're in the comedy store and you're in the main room, and then you talked about going down the hallway to the smaller room. And that smaller room is generally where you have to get started. Yes. You have to work the little room yes. to try to get to the big room. So there, there, there's kind of a concept in there to people that go in that know that these are the startup guys. You know what I mean? And maybe True. they don't even know that you just killed it in the main room. And, and no. they just look at you. They just their expectations are lower, and they're like, whatever. Yeah. And so, like I say, you just give some little inkling right off the top that they go, ah, fuck, nah. I don't, you, <laughs> I don't like this guy. You can feel it, and it's like that venue especially. You'll have huge celebrities walk in, and the electricity. And then when you follow them, you just feel like the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but even. If I went up tonight and hosted, I would do 90% less laughs than if I go up and you say I'm the headliner and you give whatever credit. Because in their minds, they're supposed to laugh. It's like yeah. expectations or something? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. swear to God, if I went up first and did my set, it would be mediocre at best. Right, right. But if I go up later in the show and you're like, oh, this guy has a poster outside or whatever, we put his name on the napkins, they're like, oh my god, we're supposed to laugh now. Yeah, so, there's a program for that, yeah. It's like, it's... Sometimes, although, like... Uh, I might be exaggerating, but I kind bit. of feel like I'm not. <laughs> a little bit. 
But like last night, last night we had a we had a guest set. Derek Richards came in and Derek destroyed. Been, Derek's been trying to get in as a headliner for me for freaking twenty years or however long he's been headlining, ten or twelve or what a while. And I just always with Derek, good comic, good comic, but some some headliners especially uh, comparatively just aren't quite at that place yeah. where I'm just ready to close them here. And, uh, and you know, when it comes down to it, I, I tell, I go, this is the hardest thing in the world for me, because I'm a comic, and I go, it's not that I don't like you and I don't like your set, but when it comes down to it, I got 52 weeks. 20 of those are celebrities. Minimum 20 of those are celebrities, sometimes yeah. more. Another eight or 10 are regular acts that have worked here for years and they destroy this room. So all of a sudden, you're down to 15, maybe 20 slots yeah. max yeah. left in the year for regular road headliners. Mm -hmm. yeah. And out of that, you know, I've already got a bevy that I like, that I know will do well in here. Then you try to work in new ones every once in a while. It's just, you know, it's, not, it's a numbers game and sometimes you know, you, you just, but Derek came in last night and he did. He got like four applause breaks. And Eric more than that. I see Eric come out of the green room with this look at look at He's wandering up to me. He's like, this motherfucker is killing. He, he is killing. He's getting applause breaks. This is, I'm going to so suck. I just want to let you know before I get started, this is not going to go well. Yeah. Yeah. Then just walked off. I said, I think it's going to be all right, Eric. <laughs> yeah, the guy that, was, the guy that uh, was worried was about sucking. Ended up getting standing up. You saw the people standing up for oh, you. Oh, you did well from the get-go. You know, that energy. You never know. You can, but you can be. You and you're here, so it's like it's like as an actor, you're only as good as your last movie. You're only as good as your last set. Right, right. Because right. if I went up there and tanked, because you booked me, people paid to see me, I have a responsibility sure. to deliver. Sure. Well, there's no I doubt. want to deliver. Yeah, there's no doubt, and I've talked about this many times. For me, you know, I, and see if y'all Going from the opening act, the host to middle, was an easy transition. It was like I just do more time. I didn't feel pressure. I looked forward to it. But going from head there to headliner, especially when you walked into an A room, big crowd with two, and you knew those two comics in front of you were pros. Yeah. You know, they're going to do well. You go, all of a sudden, you realize if everything in front of me kills, I have to take it up a notch. Yes. If everything in front of me dies, I have to save the show. I am the show. <laughs> and all of a sudden you realize the evening depends on me. Yeah. And I remember that first year, that was <laughs> that was stressful, <laughs> you know, until yeah. you kind of got some confidence. But I think when you follow, I think I usually see I, good energy, you know, good in front the headliner generally can just take that energy and just build right on top of it because they're so ready. When they walked out, when you walked out last night, they started laughing before you opened your mouth. Right. They started giggling, you know, and then, I don't know, the first two minutes you were up there, you, you got, oh, God, probably seven or eight strong laughs. Thank God. Well, this club, and I'm not just kissing your butt, this club is awesome. These these crowds are great. I mean, even even the um, 
the little things that I kind of do just because I think they're funny that 90% of the time never get a laugh, they got laughs. Right. And I was like, God bless this crowd. Hey, there's there's Marcella, Hi, our everyone. showroom manager. She'll come in from time to time. How are you? Oh. I'm good. I, I need to help Kimber in the office. Okay, help I'll be Kimber back. in the office. So would you rather follow somebody who totally eats it, or would you rather follow somebody who just destroys? I'd rather follow somebody who destroys. Yeah. I would rather follow, I'd rather know the room is ready. i tell you what I used to have to do. When, back when I was touring, I'd go to New York, to Manhattan. Yeah. And you, you know, you make no money in the Manhattan clubs. Make, really? Yeah, you make $15, $25, $50. It's renowned for that. You make small money, so they bounce around, you know, in, in Manhattan, comics bounce around and they'll do three clubs in a night. Mm. So they make two or $300 or $150 or whatever. You know, and, and you'll do an early show and then a late show. But if you're willing to go outside of the city an hour, mm -hmm. you know, you can go make regular, like what they play, regular club money or tour, you know. Mm -hmm. So every your opening act was always the person who drove you. So I figured out very quickly, I told guys this, I go, you want to be a comic in New York? Buy a car, have right. a car. Because if you, you mm. get with the booker and go, I have a car, I can do 15 minutes, right. you're hired. You're hired. You, they wire you. Just, you can be god-awful, they'll hire you to take the comics. And so your opening act generally was awful, was awful. <laughs> and your middle act, now I'm out of, so you had an opening act that walked on stage and did 15 minutes of just nothing. And because they're New York and New York attitude sometimes, then they get angry at the audience. Yes. And they and they jump on the audience. Yeah. Now the middle act walks up and that's what the audience has now is prepared for. Uh -huh. Yeah. And the middle act, unless the middle act's really good and knows how to handle that, he or she walks up there, it don't go so well, and they start getting pissed off at the audience and they start taking a I don't give a fuck attitude. You know, I'm making my fifty, seventy five dollars, I don't give a shit. You know, and da da da. So by the time I walk on stage, I've literally done this many times, y'all. I walk on stage and go, okay, before we get started, I just, I have a disclaimer. <laughs> Everything you've seen before me was not stand-up comedy. It wasn't even close. <laughs> wasn't even close, okay? That was upset human beings being upset and dissatisfied with their life in front of you. Now, from here on out, we're gonna have fun. We're gonna we're gonna really have fun. We're gonna laugh and just be light and da da da. And did that the, switch them up? Absolutely, hundred percent. It almost always got an applause. Yeah. And then I just idea. knew. You, then I just know. Go to something easy stock for five minutes. Mm. Just go to some quick, easy bang, bang, bang stuff that's silly as shit. Yeah. yeah. And then they go. Oh, it's like a breath of fresh air. They're like, oh, thank God. You know, and that's even the most jaded. I don't care. You can yeah. be in Jersey, in a fucking bar in Jersey outside of Newark somewhere. I, and still, people are people, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think when you call attention to the elephant in the room, if everybody before you has been so epically bad, yes. and then you go up and you call attention to it, or if you're performing in a room where the room holds 300 people, but you're performing for 30 people and they're spread out. If you call attention to the discomfort in there, then they know that you're comfortable with 
doing so, and then it puts them at ease too. Yeah, I, I got no problem with calling attention to the discomfort. Oh no, no, yeah. well, well, of course, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of comics. <laughs> We're both from Tennessee. We can do it. <laughs> I just lost the draw a long time ago. <laughs> But you've probably seen this too, but I've seen a lot of comics, not here, but at a place, and they, um, a lot of celebrities, and it's a notoriously rough crowd, and they will go up and just within 10 seconds, shit on the town, shit on the people, shit on the, and these are people that are making 10, 20, 30 grand, and I'm like, you should be kissing these people's ass. Yes. Yeah, but it's you can't go up there with a, it's me versus you mentality and you people hate me. No. Because no. you're entertaining them. No. They're not there for you. Marcelo's trying to sneak out. We see you. Get this, go to work for God's sake. We see you. <laughs> but it's like I never go up and if I think they're not going to like me or if I if I start being like, oh, this crowd's whatever, then I'm you're done. You know, we had, uh, I, I've, over the years, and of course, here we've been... I've been I've been in comedy for since 1980, yeah. and uh, and been booking clubs and producing shows since '86. Uh, and every now and then, it doesn't happen much, but every now and then over the years, we would get a he- a headliner in that just came in with a sour attitude. Oh, yeah. You know, just a lot of you know, just came in and they weren't being really a total asshole or anything, but they just came in just glum and just complaining about every little thing. And I remember uh, one of them. Whatever. No, we could. <laughs> but that's a hint. <laughs> but I remember the 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 first time the first time it happened. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the comic came in. Oh, we're getting started. Well, no, not yet. But the comic came in, and uh, and I was, his, his name was Dennis. I'll just say his name was Dennis. But and a n- great guy and a good comic. Eighties guy? Huh? Eighties comic? Guy. Yeah. And so uh, his brother's a comic too. One of my favorite. Oh no, no, different guy. Never mind. Uh, and uh, what are you, yeah. who are you guessing? The guy that's right. I thought you meant Dennis Wolfberg. No, 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 not Rest Dennis Wolfberg. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> what? Regan. No, not Dennis Regan. Really? It wasn't Dennis Regan. There's another no. Dennis whose brother is performing? Yes, wow. yes. There's Miller? another Dennis. There's another Dennis. But anyway, so now, now anybody who's listening will have to figure it out. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, the, he was just complaining. And Pam, my wife, who has always run the club with me. And, you know, Pam has a master's degree in theater. She's sharp. And she pulled him aside the first night. And she and I was standing there, and she goes, "Dennis, this is a comedy club. Listen to me, comedy guy. Smiles, laughter. That's everybody that's coming into this room is is you know coming in here to get away from the shit that you're bringing in here right now. Take your fucking black cloud out fucking side and get rid of it." Or yeah. go home. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a comedy club. And I've had that with staff members sometimes, you know, even. And you go, hey, man, I don't give a shit what your life was before you walked in that door. And if you want to sit over and talk about it to me later or whatever, I'm happy to do that. We can sit here and cry on each other's shoulder or whatever. You know, I'm, you know, fine. But as far as that audience is concerned, yeah. Whoa, you know, this yeah. is. 
This is Wonderland. It's this is happy time. You it's, know, it's they're, kind they're, of a fantasy. They're coming here. Yes, yeah. it is a fantasy. Yeah, because you know, you know I've you know how many comics that I've told now. I I I understand what certain political beliefs are around me, but I always say it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. You're gonna divide that audience. You're gonna have half of that audience. Why do you want half that audience to just shut you out? Why can't you just stay right down the middle of the road with them? That way you can keep both of them. You know. Well, you know, and, and I do understand that in comedy, there's 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 comics that are people pleasers, crowd pleasers. I'm that way. And yeah. now there are comics that are well-defined characters. And if you've decided to be a well-defined character, which is the way you get branded and the best way to become a celebrity, you do have to kind of stick to your guns. Yeah. But you can let the audience know that that's what you're doing. But you have to establish that for years. You do first, have to establish. You gotta build that. You do have to establish it. Yeah. But yeah. In the beginning, they're not, com- or if you're not famous, they're not coming to see you. No. They're coming to see a show. That's right. But if you're. Daniel Tosh, people know you're going to be sarcastic, right. edgy, snarky. That's right. If you're Bozo the Clown, they know you're going to do, make balloon animals. Right. I mean, they're coming to see you, but when you just, when, like me, they just came. Yes. Maybe they Googled me, maybe they didn't. All of us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go up and start saying, not that my opinions are super well researched anyway, so I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to go up there and do that. A, I don't think it's fun. Right. But la- recently, I saw this comic go up, extremely famous, and he... Very political, and this crowd already paid a hundred bucks. The show was an hour late. Servers are food's late, drinks are late. They're already pissed off, and half the crowd walked. Yeah. And after the show, he's like, "What happened?" And I'm like, "Bro, it's just not fun. This is supposed to be fun." That's right. That's right. You know, I always I tell when I teach comedy, I go, I go, look, no one comes into a comedy club to be educated or enlightened. Yeah. They really don't. They come here for one reason only, and that is to laugh and and get an escape a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You little know, mindless laughter. That's right. That's right. They come in here, and we talk about this. They come in here to eat shit they shouldn't eat, drink shit they shouldn't drink, hear shit they shouldn't hear, laugh at shit they shouldn't laugh at. That's exactly what they come in here for. And it's an escape. It's an escape. It's entertainment. It's and fun. the thing is, I love when a comic will get up. And get on this point of view. And I go, afterwards I go, you know what, man? Did you get a degree in that? Yeah. I mean, do you have a master's degree in that? Have you written a book about that? How much have you researched? What, you read two books in the newspaper and you're the fucking expert? You have, you have an opinion, man. That's yeah. it. Right. Don't act like your opinion is the fucking shit. But have opinion. Have opinion. I don't want you coming to me spouting off what you heard on Rush Limbaugh and passing it off as yours. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't stand Unless that. it's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't. I don't like the comics and/or people that act like if you don't agree with them, then you're a complete idiot. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's not a good yeah. attitude. I like that. Are we gonna pause while you're on stage? No. Y'all just you can do whatever you want. I mean, in other words, this is we're just hanging out. This is a conversation. If you feel like you need to get ready because you're getting ready to go on in ten minutes or whatever you want to do. And we can always, Mike can take breaks. We're editing this shit anyway. So, so where you know, wherever there's a pause or a break or whatever. But you know, it might be that it it might be a point where it's just 
you and Mike sitting here bullshitting about whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, I can talk about comedy. Oh, dead air. We'll just be staring at you. Talk about comedy? Oh, no. If you want to talk about comedy, I'll We want to hear about your new girlfriend. what we want to hear Can I? So you're going to do 25? Yeah. Okay, great. Can I run to the restroom real fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then get a little Red Bulls? My man. I'll be back, but um, let's. I'd love to. I'm sorry I was late. You weren't too late. Oh, I know. Like, why would you want to do more time? Like the hero of the open mic, they think that they're. But it's like they're bonding, but they keep. I guess you keep going to try to win the crowd over. Yeah. But then it's like digging deeper and deeper. Then you have the one super offensive comment. <laughs> yeah, it comes from... That just, you know, they're just like. It's every joke's like the worst thing ever. I've seen that. It used to be me back in the day. Where people like go over their time because they're searching for a closer. Like they just keep like keep trying to get like a strong punch at the end. Yeah, they want to go off on a left. Yeah. So, and sometimes if the crowd hates you that much, you're yeah. pretty much. I remember last night I was telling you I had to do a show. It was over over an hour. I had to do like an hour fifteen, hour and twenty minutes or something like that. Well, the feature was the MC. Yeah, the feature was the MC, and they told me that he didn't have but ten minutes. I'm like, so he's doing a feature and an MC, and he's got ten minutes of time. And he goes, yeah, I need you to stretch. Why would they hire? I don't know, uh, but. Wow. So I'm up on stage, and I'm, if I'm headlining, I play with the audience. I talk to the audience. I'm not scared to talk to the audience. I don't mind hecklers. I love every bit of it. Well, there was this one little old lady that kept going back and forth with me, and her table was just screaming with laughter. And I heard one woman say, he obviously doesn't know who he's talking to. And I'm like, all right, enlighten me. Who am I talking to? Whitey Bulger's ex-wife. Oh, shit. Seriously? Yeah, she had oh. pictures of the wedding, everything yeah. she carried with. And I said, I said, um, I said, here's the part of the show where I back down a little bit. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, no, keep it up, big boy. Your mouth's gonna sound really good at the bottom of the oceans in them concrete shoes. Holy oh, shit! <laughs> Scariest heckle ever. God damn. And you're like, oh, that is she serious? Was she the girl that was with him when he got busted, or was she like? I, that I don't know. She she hated the movie though. She said the movie was not accurate at all. The they hated Johnny, the Johnny Depp. Depp the Johnny Depp one. She's like, it was much darker, much more brutal than that movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The Johnny Depp one? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Wait, was the Departed that Whitey Bulger? Am I confused? Yeah, What's it that? was uh, Black Mass, I think. Right? Black Mass, yeah. Black Mass, yeah. 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 Well, bro, Johnny Depp strangled that girl to death with his bare hands. Yeah. Oh, really? The one snitch girl in the... Uh, did you see it? No, I never saw it, no. There's one, like, young, like, 16-year-old blonde hair girl, and she, goes, she gets busted by the cops for, like being a hooker doing drugs and like you didn't tell them anything did you and she's like no I swear and he gives her a hook and then he takes her in a room and just like beats her to death oh. it's, it's, his, it's it's brutal man. really yeah it's uncomfortable I was watching with my parents I was like <laughs> but you what's your thing so you started here yeah yeah this was weird I I actually helped a dude move a couch and he was like oh I work at McCurdy's and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, we're actually looking to hire people if you're looking to get in there. And I was, I just said, I was like, I've always wanted to do comedy, but I never knew how to do it. I, I remember I sent like emails here. I was like, hey, 
I'll like clean the toilets if you just show me what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I got here, and they basically like like you're kind of useless. Like we don't trust you in the kitchen. You're too fat for that. Like, we don't. You can't serve. They're like you're big enough, so let, let's just see if you can do security. And I just ended up working the door, and then I took the class like three months later, and I had like a pretty good set like my first time ever, which I don't even know how I did that because I did I wrote my set like the night before like an ass. Asshole. Like stud, like like jamming for the test. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, that's better than thinking about it. For yeah. Like six or eight weeks. And I, I didn't want to torture myself by like, you know what I mean, by constantly thinking about it. So I wrote it the, the day before, and luckily it worked out. But and I just kept, I just stayed at it basically. I fell in love with it like immediately. Is it something you always wanted to do? Yeah. Because I was always like, wow, I, I suck at every job. I, I cannot keep like my interest was just never there. Yeah. No matter what it was, it, it could have been a cool job, and it, it's still like I just had no interest in it. Yeah. I couldn't focus, and then, like I started. Uh, they they let me start to serve here, which I thought like, oh shit, here we go again, like another job that I'm not gonna have any interest in. And like I stayed interested in it. I'm mean, obviously making money, but like that's just because comedy revolves around it, I guess. You know? yeah. Comedy was my earliest memory. I just remember. Watching my dad laugh while we were watching Red Skelton, and I right. just like I want to do that to people, you know. I yeah. want to do that, you know, because my dad, he just he looked like he felt good when that was happening, and right, I just, right. and yeah. that's literally my earliest memory. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. How how long have you wanted to do it? My whole life. Yeah. 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 I remember that. In second grade, we had like show and tell. Do you remember the, they were called Pound Puppies? It was like a cartoon, they had a stuffed animal. And I went up, and I did some shit with the like stuffed animal, and the kids were laughing. Then afterwards, this girl, Jessica Ennis, went up and tried to be funny, and someone was like, bring Aaron back up. Oh. And I was like, fuck you, Ennis. <laughs> you can't follow me, motherfucker. Um, but I remember seeing my dad the same thing. Patty Shack and Innocent and Dangerfield, and I was like... You know, that's so cool. You perform like you've wanted to do this your whole life. You, you perform like that. I see a lot of people. I love comedy. I know a lot of, I've seen a lot of comics. You ask them why they started doing comedy. It's just because they don't want to work a day job anymore. I'm like, we well, got a long ways to go. Yeah. That's, it's so much harder to answer. make money with comedy. That's a terrible reason, I feel like. People are like, I want to put my job and go on the road. And I'm like, that takes. Well, I, I, you know what? I don't know, man. Maybe you yeah. have I mean, you gotta go after your It's still work, though. You still gotta work at it. You still gotta, you know what I mean? You still gotta do yeah. your thing. Well, that's why a lot of Comedy's comics. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You better, you gotta write every day. You gotta do social media. You gotta fucking, you know what I mean? It's like. You gotta be 100% in all the time. I just, it, you really, I'm talking to myself too, but it's like at least write every day. Yeah. I don't have a wife or kids or a day job, so it's easy for me to say that. If you're working full-time, then it's probably yeah. hard to do that. You know what I found is a really good, um, you know what I found is a really good motivator for writing? Is go to places that you don't like. Like, like uh, Chris Gorgeous, my buddy Chris Gorgeous. Oh, I know Chris. I like Chris. You know Chris? I like Chris? Yeah, he was talking about, um, you know, and doing some writing, and he was talking about, he, he was making fun of uh, country bars. I said, that's where you go then. You go to the country bars because the country bars is where you're uncomfortable. You're going to find all the funny. I'm not going to find it because that's my environment. Right. You know, I've, I've, I ended up with material because I ended up in a gay bar. You know, that's yeah. not that's not my environment. But right. I'll find the funny as where the gay comic isn't going to find the funny because it's just his environment. 
Is it because it's like uncomfortable? I did my belt. Just step out of your gay bar, so that was kind of. I went to gay bar. I noticed it. I noticed it. Turn me on a little. I appreciate that. Yeah, I wanted that. I heard, I heard like you know like like menial tasks too, like like walking or or like taking a shower can help provoke thought because it's so simple. Everything can provoke a thought, but right. I, I usually say step outside of your comfort zone, and that's where you're gonna find the funny. Right. So like like I said, if you if you if you're not a country bar kind of guy, you know you're into pop music or something like that, you go to the country bar. Yeah. Because now you're going to be making fun of the guy wearing the cowboy right. hat. You're going to be thinking. Right, it's you're not your crowd, so it's like you're yeah. more likely to find some yeah. some ir- irony in it. Yeah. yeah. Where do people do their search? Is it, which I go up in the bar tonight? Yeah, yeah. Do that in the bar. They're right. Dan Dakota. Who? As last night's crowd was. Last night was like. They were like. I was going to tape that. They were an explosion last night. But, uh, well, they did tape it. We leave the camera running. I think we generally, we leave the camera running on every show because, and the celebrities let us do it too, but at the end of the week, we just burn it. Unless, if you want it. The reason we do it is, is for, is if something happened, that was one of those, that was just that amazing, can't repeat it moment. Yeah. A viral moment. You know what I mean? And you, where you're sitting there going, oh shit, nobody, <laughs> we didn't have a camera on, yeah. you know, just in case. So I think they had it. I think they had it. If you want it, mic to your face. Yeah. I love the, oh, I'm sorry. I love the <laughs> No, we'll get it for you. I need my uh, your energy. Those Red Bulls don't fuck around. Reading chips. <laughs> yeah, in case you couldn't tell. I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry I was late, man. I know you told me six thirty. I lost track of time. I, I just can't get in. I just can't. I've never gotten into the energy drinks. No. Good for you. They're horrible for They're you. They're really bad for oh, I know you. They are. <laughs> I drink half and have a panic attack, and as soon as it stops, I drink. But it's like brain freeze. You drink it, and then you're like, ah, and then the sister's gone, you're like. I mean. It's like, it, I don't know why. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's everything. I mean, it's just what, a ton of caffeine and a ton of sugar, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally it'd be, it'd be just. like <laughs> chugging, chugging uh, three cups of espresso <laughs> and eating just sugar by a the lot. spoonful, right? It's, Same thing. It's so it's bad for you. So bad for you. And it's. It's like a drug now because I'll drink one and then like 20 minutes, I'll be like like that and then 20 minutes later, it'll wear off. It's like crack. Now I need more now, to get yeah. to get a You crash you're, worse than coffee. Yeah. You're you're clean and sober right now, right? I am. Okay. Because I know that's something that that's, you have to be attentive to that. But just here's what the point is. Just about everybody I know, when they go, when they stop drinking and doing anything, 
they go right to the energy drinks. Yeah, it's like that's the that. go-to, right? If you go to a 12-step group, if, if you want to know where a meeting is, look for a church with people guzzling coffee and smoking cigarettes outside. Yeah, and that's the meeting. Right, right. But that's a meeting those meetings, I mean, if you... If they run out of coffee, you have never seen people so pissed off. There are people that have their flights canceled that aren't just pissed off. Like, they are like, who was supposed to make the coffee? Like, these people are not messing around, and they, they smoke cigarettes, but it's like, it's just addictive behavior. You just yeah. switch it to something else. Right. But people right. tell me, they're like, don't drink Red Bull. That's just as bad. And I'm like, I don't wake up in the bushes from drinking Red Bull <laughs> naked with, like, a stick up my ass. I mean, one time, but yeah. it was so- it's Halloween. <laughs> So far. So far. Knock on wood. <laughs> Anything. The night is young. Um, and I smoke an e-cigarette. I smoked Marlboro Lights for like 18 years. And then I switched right. to this blue e-cigarette because I'm an idiot. The, and, uh, well, I mean. It's, it's so horrible for you. It, but, there's no good Well, reason. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're just switching. Safe but like you just said it. You got to find something to do with that energy, right? I mean, that energy's there. It's just part of your yeah. being. Video games. <laughs> Quitting drinking was Quitting smoking cigarettes was the hardest thing ever. Quitting drinking was was twenty times easier because I would be so irritable all day long, and then you're so stabbing that cigarette in the car. Yeah. Right after you eat, before bed, first thing in the morning, it's like that first couple months, you feel like you're grieving it. It's like right. so horrible. Right. I, I smoked for. Uh, oh, you did. But I did. The goof is, I did not start smoking until I went to college. I never smoked in, in junior high and high school because I, I was an athlete. And, and the goof was I wasn't good. <laughs> I wasn't a good athlete. I was like a half-assed athlete. I was good enough to make the team. So I was, if any athlete should have been smoking, it should have been. I played football at 135 pounds. That's how ridiculous it was. <laughs> right. You know, I was just fast enough not to get killed. Right. And, uh and I wrestled, which I enjoyed. I really enjoyed. I, I ran track a little bit. But once again, I was never quite good enough. You right, know what right. I mean? But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I yeah. remember, uh, I, I, and so I never smoked. Although, I, do, I, I should have because I remember when I was about 12 years old, my grandmother and grandfather took me and my cousin from Chattanooga down to Atlanta to see a Braves game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we stayed in the Marriott downtown, uh, and and uh, this is in the '60s, you know, and, uh, and and so we're staying there. And the Dodgers, who they were playing, were were staying there. So we were we were all jacked up that they were there. So we go to have lunch before the game, and there is two of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball, Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax, sitting there shit. Uh, t- about wow. two di- two tables away from us, and they were you know they're legends. And with a couple other guys, and they all had suits on and everything. And both Drysdale and Koufax were smoking cigarettes. That's back when you smoked inside. They're both every every guy at the table was smoking a cigarette. Of course. And Drysdale and Koufax had a little martini or scotch or something uh-huh. from them. And Drysdale pitched that day. Are you serious? Yes. Holy and I was shit. sitting there going, Well, that blows that shit out of the water. <laughs> I was like, Drysdale and Koufax are smoking and drinking? Maybe I need to fucking start smoking and drinking. <laughs> so I can make it to the pros, you know. That's hysterical. How do you how do you do that and smoke? But my dad said when he started smoking back in the day, it it people were like, Oh, it's fine. Everybody's yeah, back it then. It was just a thing. Everybody smoked. But I I didn't start till college. I was eighteen. 
and you know went away to college and that's when i picked up and i smoked for 10 years mm-hmm. solid what'd you smoke uh marlboros I, anything yeah, yeah. anything but mainly i smoked marlboro reds cool. and uh and, and and but but i would smoke camels or lucky strikes I, even without the filters i didn't give a shit i'd smoke anything that's if you had it i, I didn't like rough. menthol i didn't like the menthol no, shit did you smoke weed or party or were you just oh drink? yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh everything time. everything i mean anything yeah. back then i mean uh, uh <laughs> 70s was such a drug culture right I mean, it just it just you know that that it was when everybody first started doing that shit. You know, it's like I'll, I'll make a joke about it. I go, in the '70s were the wild, was the wildest decade of our country's history, and it will never be repeated. They have legislated that, yeah, because they right. never thought we it, there weren't laws against this shit because nobody thought we would that human beings would do that shit. Right. It was like it just there up until then there was there was some kind of discipline. And some kind of like standard for right. yeah, you drank like you watched the series Mad Men. Yeah, you know, yeah, people were drinking and smoking, but nobody was going and scoring opium and you know and pot right, and, right. unless unless you were hanging out with jazz sing jazz bands or something in the '30s or or you were artists you know writers and shit sure, supposedly right. did a lot of that, but uh, just nobody. And then all of a sudden. This shit just comes, and you know, I remember when, you know, pot pot was just everywhere. I mean, it was just, uh, and, and then, and it was bad pot too. It was this Mexican cheap, you yeah, know? Oh bold. God, it yeah. was nothing like what they have now. It was you, you'd have to smoke two joints to get what you get off of a puff. Oh wow! Of the shit now, you know. I was watching Cheech and Chong, and they were like. Uh, Chong was like, we need to score a lid of marijuana. What is a lid? Is a lid. Ounce? A lid. What a lid was 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 that it's an unweighed ounce. So you'd okay. get a pound. Uh, you get a pound <laughs> and you'd break it up into lids. You didn't weigh. You know. He's like, yeah. I ain't getting a fucking scale out. <laughs> like a lid for a jelly jar or something. So you would. So they would go. You know. You go. Was it a two finger lid or was it a three finger lid? You know, three finger lid. You know, you hold your three. You go. That's about wide enough. That that looks. Yeah, that's good for. Oh wow! And that was like fifteen dollars. Okay. Jeez, Louise! That, that was yeah. fifteen bucks. That's... But but at the same time, you you pick up a pack of Topps rolling papers. There was a hundred rolling papers Tops. in there, right? Mm-hmm. And you would get the pack, and you would open it on Friday afternoon, and by Sunday. You're out of paper. And you're like, how the fuck did we, could that even be possible what I'm looking at here? You know, but, and I can remember, I mean, I can remember when cocaine was introduced. I was in Memphis and Memphis was wild. Memphis, Memphis was a city that was, you know, that was back then was servicing in the countywide area, a million and a half at least people. Uh, they, until 1971, did not have liquor by the drink. What that means is you could not go into a bar and order a scotch and water. You had to bring your scotch in a brown bag, hand it to the bartender, and then, like, you know, hand it to the bartender. Then you purchase, and usually you would pay a bottle fee, so maybe they charge you... Ten bucks for you to bring your bottle in, and then you purchase setups. And if you go, I just want a cup because I drink it straight, that would still cost you the same as 
a Coke or whatever because right, that's right. how they made their money. That's interesting. And you would do that. And then there I've were private clubs where you paid a membership fee right, and they right. would keep – you know, there was all kinds of ways around it, but still and yet – you didn't have just a regular bar. So 1971, I think, was when they voted in liquor by the drink. I got there in 73 and started and, you know, dropped out of college immediately and started working in the bars. And the bars were just crazy. I mean, Memphis is this big town that got liquor by the drink and all these bars started opening up. And the music scene in Memphis was already really cool because Sun Records was there, yeah. and it already Jerry Lee and Elvis and and Johnny Cash and and you know so many of those guys had developed there, and all these musicians were coming to Memphis to either get in with Sun Records or just to be in the atmosphere. That's the party of atmosphere. It. Yeah, just right. to be in that that air. Right, you know what I mean? Elvis was still there. Jerry Lee used to play at a little 150 seat bar all the time, and I mean you could see him. His daughter was the house band. And really? he, he sat in with them all the time. And, uh, and you would see stars a lot. I mean, you know, I remember, uh, I remember a guy came in one afternoon real slow, about 2 o'clock, and I was working, and he just wanted to get a, a cheeseburger and fries to go and a beer. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and he's what do you do? And he goes, I'm a musician, man. I'm a songwriter, you know, I just that. And there were a lot of that in Memphis. So I go, yeah, my name's Les. Uh, What's your name, John? John. He goes, if you want, to, if you see me around, it's John Prine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, da da da. You know, and uh, you know. So I mean, there, there was all, there was a, a lot of people like that. But um, so the drugs just went with that alcohol, you right. know. And if you Quaaludes got. Uh, I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah. I've heard legends. Ludes showed up in the 70s. And what were they, like Xanax? They were stronger. They were more though, like right? oxycodone. They were more like a, a oxycodone. Oh. They're, they're, they're the same. They're, they're an opioid. They're an, they're an opioid painkiller. Right. So they're in the same class with, right, with right. oxycodone. Or, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're in that same class. So back then, I remember the two pills that were just prevalent i mean you could just everybody had them were valium and quaaludes yeah and as there was because elvis was still alive and his doctor dr nicopolis was untouchable if you worked for elvis you were untouchable in memphis right right, you know you just could pretty much get away with murder you know and so you knew that Nicopolis and there were about another dozen doctors that were his buddies. If you wanted any of these drugs, you just went in, you, you went in got an appointment, you sat with the doc, got with the doctor, and you told the doctor, go, look, I work late night shifts. Right. Sometimes I don't get off till 3 o'clock in the morning. I have to go in the next day and work a double, and I have to get, and I can't sleep. go right to sleep, and I need something to help me, and yada, yada, this, that, and the other. And they would always go, okay, we're going to give you a prescription for Valium, right? right? And then all you had to say was, the code was, I've tried that, 
that doesn't really, oh, it really doesn't. And as soon as you say that, he goes, oh, okay, then we'll give you quaaludes, <laughs> which are not for sleeping. <laughs> and they're not for sleeping. They're for pain, Medicare, pain. But Heavy did they, like, pain. knock you out, or were you just no, like? No, when you're, they, knock, they would knock me out now, but when, when you're young, oh, you're right, just right. partying like a motherfucker. But you're fu- and so the, if you drank on them, you were, like, asked the fuck you out. You were fucking. <laughs> did you see Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's it. With the, uh, and there was a Steve Mag. And the the saying was the big Q gets the big O, the big uh, Quaalude gets the big orgasm. Every girl wanted a Quaalude. Really? Yes. Holy shit! And Christ. that was see. This is pre Coke. Yeah. Coke had not even shown up yet. The, really? No. Because yeah. it wasn't until if you watch that, that uh, was like the disco. Well, if you watch that uh, uh, documentary, Cocaine Cowboys, I did. Uh, right? I heard that's amazing. Well, it was the mid seventies. Can't stop watching it. Yeah. It was the mid seventies before Coke got introduced, because the Colombians were just sticking it in bales of pot and sending <laughs> it with the pot and going, "Hey, try this shit out. <laughs> Put it around. See if you can sell sample. it. Yeah. And if you can, we got a bunch of it, right?" right? right. And I remember. Do I have time to? I'm sorry, do I have time to use the restroom before he gets yeah, off? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. How go. long has he been on? Uh, I have to go look. I'm going to say 10 minutes. He's yeah. doing 25. When you walk out, look up at the clock, you can see how long he's been on. I'm sorry. You got time. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, he's been up for 15. We'll continue this later. 15, 16 minutes, well, I think. But yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, Quite Mike. Loose, yeah. So the thing was, was that you had uh, uh, the mid-70s when that was introduced. So quaaludes were the, were the big, right. you know, what people partied on. Yeah. So, you know, if you met a girl at a bar and you had quaaludes, right. you're in. You're in exactly. like Flint. Plus, plus the girl. Now, of course, girl takes a quaalude. Well, of course, the inhibitions are go right out the window. Right, right. Now, they do refer to that as date rape now. That's date rape. <laughs> That's what it's works. called. <laughs> it's called date rape. But back then, you weren't nobody. I, I never knew anybody that was... Slipping a quaalude into somebody's drink. Right. No, you didn't have to. Right, you saw right, a pretty right, girl. Right. You go up. You start talking to her. You buy her a drink. You're like, ah, you you know, you get. She's a partier. You it's can brand t- new too. You like, can tell she's you know she wants to party right. and we're having fun. And you can just ask her to go. You want a lewd? You want a lewd, right? And she's either gonna go, nah, that ain't me. Yeah. Or if she goes, yeah, you yeah. got any? Well, it's you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, here you go. Well, as soon as you hand her that load, you go, well, let the games begin. <laughs> right, and you course. take one, too, you know. Yeah. But that was – but I remember when Coke first started coming in, mid-'70s, and I was a bartender at a place called The Ritz in Memphis. It was a music showroom, uh, seat like 400 people. Uh, there was a main one called Lafayette, same thing, and then the Ritz opened later. And the Ritz, and I worked at Lafayette's too. And that we had, we had, we had Billy Joel, we had wow. Barry Manilow, we had Linda Ronstadt, we had George Thorogood and Destroyers. We had Meatloaf when he did his first Fat <laughs> Out of Hell tour. We had Albert King, BB King. I, you know, I mean, you know, Rufus Thomas. Uh, Booker T and the MGs. I mean, just amazing the people that came through yeah, yeah. Memphis during this time played this place. And so we had Roy Buchanan there, and Roy was one of the greatest blues guitarists that's ever lived. Right. And and uh, so he was there for three days for a weekend. And we had a great weekend, just packed the place. And on Sunday, backstage, 
uh, as the roadies are packing everything up. There was about about maybe 15 of us, all guys, no, right. all guys, and, and staff and a few friends and, and the band. So the manager comes down, and uh, Jerry, and he comes down, and he's like, Hey man, this is a great week, everybody. And he pulled, and I, we had seen Coke. Coke had come around. We had all tried it. You know, right. it was something that was around. You know, and and it was just starting to pop up. And Jerry pulls out a bag of cocaine. That I mean, like not not your sandwich bag, but those big gallon. fucking gallon freezer <laughs> fucking bags. And I mean, it was it wasn't three fingers; it was a fucking hand Fist. and a half. You know, I mean, it, it it had to stand up. This coke had to stand up almost six inches high in a Holy gallon uh, plastic bag, and we'd never seen so much coke. How much time has he done? Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. It's up. It's up above the stage. What is? It? It's probably about twenty. Cause I. Where'd he go? He's ready. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Cool. So he's got six more minutes. So we're just saying, with the coke when it early seventy uh, mid seventies, uh, we're. So anyway. This big, he throws this huge bag of coke down yeah. on a table. We're sitting backstage, and he goes, "You can't take any with you, but as long as we're here, hanging out, do as much as you <laughs> do want. Do as much as you want. <laughs> do as much as you want." And I look at my buddy Rufus, and I'm like, "How much of that can you do before you die?" Yeah, right. And Rufus goes, "You can't die from snorting oh, coke." Oh no, dude. You can't die from snorting coke. You have to. You have to run it up to die. We ain't crazy. None of us are needle freaks. We ain't doing that shit. So you go snort all you want. Oh, and man. me said, "Sounds good." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." I trust you. And we didn't die. Obviously. Uh, 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 oh my god, that was crazy. And then it was the. It was the. It was then. It was because we were just saying that quaaludes were pre-coke. So when you met a girl in a bar, right, and and you figured out she was fun and partying, she liked you. You're getting along, talking. No one, because we're talking about how that that's date right now. You know, is roofie and a girl, right? Yeah, definitely. The big Q gets a big O. The big Quaalude gets a big orgasm. Right, right. But the right. thing was, back then, nobody was sneaking a Quaalude into somebody's drink. You were just going, "Hey, want to do a lewd?" And if the girl goes, "Yes." You go, well, I pretty much know how this evening's going to go. Right. Either either you were going to get lucky or she was going to pass the fuck out. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? She right, was going right. to get too fucked up. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? So you, you had to walk that line. At that point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Coke came around. But Coke was really late, late 70s into the 80s. Two minutes just to look over my stuff. Again. Yeah, I'm don't sorry. even come. I want to no. keep doing this. You no, keep doing it. We will do this later. I have some new '90s stuff, and I don't have. I, I just want to make sure I have a down. Okay. Oh, yeah, go go. Is okay. That okay. No, it's fine. I'm sorry. Because actually, I'm going to break from this because I want to go watch some of your show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, do you want to do some after? We, we, well, you're selling T-shirts, though, right? Yeah. Okay. We All can right. do it tomorrow too. We can see. I want to ask you one thing. Yes, sir. You got a girlfriend since you've been here. I do. And that's is that real new? Four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. Good. Is that it? so? Did y'all are y'all living together or no? 
Uh, we are living together. Um, yeah, it was an easy transition because I, I live with my parents. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, Sarah, I'm coming over. <laughs> and um, we're very similar people. Did, did you move back to Florida or are you still out in L.A.? I'm in Florida and I want to move back next year. Oh, okay. But um, my father's sick, unfortunately, and oh, I came back. Sorry. And uh, that's okay. And um, plus I ran out of money in Hollywood. Well, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very... It's very expensive, but I came back here to see my dad. I met Sarah, and it's Good. like I can stay with her and save money. And, and you can still work your stuff. And I'm on the road a lot, but I want—I really want to like. I'm just trying to to write. I try to write an hour every day, and I just—I just, I just want to be the best comic I can be. You're one of the funniest human beings I know. I try. I'm man. telling you, man. I you try. I'm, I'm a perfectionist, and I'm never totally happy. And I want to be like cleaner, smarter, bigger, better. But I just—I always—I watch. I'm a comedy fan. Yeah. I watch every night before bed. I'll watch Robin Williams. Go ahead, go ahead and do what you need to do. I'm get, sorry. Get, get ready. Don't be sorry. Oh no. All right. Don't apologize. That's all right. Because Bull's gonna come up here in a minute. You know. It's cool. He hits that stage, man. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that's the thing for me as a, as a club owner. You know, if the comics that I will watch multiple times are always the ones that are characters. Right, You know, right, DeCrosta, right. Dale, Eric. You know, it's those, it's those comics, Orny, right. you know, Orny that are just, they're just, they're these super big, outrageous characters and so for me, because just material alone, right. it's rare for me that the material itself is so brilliant right, right. that I can watch it multiple times and still enjoy it. I mean, you know, after I've seen it a couple times, you know how it is. You, yeah, you, you've yeah. seen it. You yeah, know, you've seen, you've seen the deal, you know, no and surprise. that's generally what I do. But, but when a comic is as fun to watch physically as they are to listen to, then it takes on for me it takes on that eric all those comics will do shit on stage that's just because the way they are that will happen just that in that moment yeah you know, always, that cracks like me that up. magic that like, uh-huh yeah. you know but uh and that's me that's me i mean obviously i'm sure there's other people that are the Sinbad, exact opposite Sinbad did that for me a lot like just watching him, how he just so—it almost seems like he's coming out of thin air with it. It's, sure, it's ridiculous. Sinbad, it's like every show you don't know what it's going to be. It's crazy. You know that in five shows he's going to give you five plus hours that have very few similarities. Yeah, you know, other than may, I mean, you very know, few maybe maybe a quarter of the show is right. similar. To the other show, but, but sometimes like nobody does that. that he'll I be see. covering like a similar subject, but it's put together differently. It's reworded. It's oh yeah, shit that he. Oh, I think Sinbad's one of the most underrated comics. Oh my out god! There. I mean, I I just I, you know I mean as far as you know I've told that story before when I watched him do that outdoor show at oh, Disney yeah. in front of five thousand people and he's making children laugh right with their grandparents and teenagers and they're all laughing their ass off outdoors in an amphitheater and then he goes backstage and they do a second show two hours later expecting everybody to leave and nobody left and the stage manager goes nobody left and now there's like eight thousand people out there <laughs> most of them are the ones that just saw your first show and he went he and bad an eye and he really? went out there and did another hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes totally different 
from what he did before, and it was all material that made children laugh. And, and their grandparents and, and their teenage. I Nobody mean, can do that. I go, that. who does? We, we literally sat back there. It was me and a few comics. And, um, oh, God, who was the – I'm trying to think of the basketball star that was back there with us. Um, shit. Big time or? Yes, big. Like Hall Magic? of Famer. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, God, he, I'll think of it. Anyway, but uh, that's a bet you get in 63, <laughs> you know. But anyway, uh, uh, Dominique Wilkins. Okay. Dominique Wilkins. And uh, we were all standing on the side watching him on the second show, and we all were going, who else can do this? Yeah. We go, Bill Cosby. Right, right, right. Only person we could think of that could pull this off, and that was his mentor, unfortunately. Right, What right, a right. sad case that is. But we were going, Billy Crystal might be able to do it if he had a full orchestra. Right, right. Robin, Robin couldn't have done it because no. he couldn't have stayed clean enough right, that right. long. I don't think. No. I don't think he could have. Oh, that's a good point. Talented enough, but I – but just oh, here he goes. I gotta go get bull. All right. All right. Think he's wrapping up. I'm sorry about that, lad. It's okay, man. Yeah, we got we got some gold. Oh, here. we got a lot of shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> we got an hour already. We got a lot of stuff. We got plenty of stuff. I'm trying to move. I do that 90 shit in the ads, but I want to move it into the middle. Oh. this religious rehab because I'm Catholic and my dad made me go. And my first AA meeting was a Catholic AA meeting. And I'm not making this up. End of the AA meeting. A priest came out and poured us all glasses of red wine. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And I was like, is there alcohol in the wine? He's like, yeah, but once we bless the wine, you can drink it because it has transformed into the blood of Jesus. I'm like, no, shit! Can they bless this bag of cocaine? <laughs> no, officer, this is the dandruff of the Lord. We is blessed tonight! The guy in the front didn't look like he was having much fun, but I, th I think there's a the guy on the issue. right. There's a think, medical issue. Yes, I think. Yeah, I mean, I looked at him, you know, and and I go, this. You know what? I, and, and he looks like he could be 90 years old. Oh yeah. I mean, right. easily looks like he could be 90 years old. Really. And I looked at the woman, 
who's next to him, and I go, at first you go, you go, wife, and I go, maybe, probably daughter. Yeah. And she looks 70. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But easily could be his daughter. And I thought, you know what, daughter or wife, how cool that she brought him. Right. Go, let's get a, and And then he went. He, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he knows where the fuck he is or, you know, whatever, but he's <laughs> he here. I, I, I had a situation almost exactly like this. It, it looked exactly the same. And the guy just sat there, stone-faced through the entire show. And afterwards, his wife came up, and uh, she said, oh, my gosh. She goes, my husband had an amazing time. He had a great time. And I said, I got to be honest with you, ma'am. He didn't, he didn't look like he even cracked a smile through the whole show. She said, well, he has, um, he has Parkinson's, and he doesn't. But that's the first time I've ever seen a Parkinson's that made people not move. It's a, it's right. a different version of Parkinson's oh, wow. right, where right. He, he, can't, he can't crack a smile, and he just sits there stone. My, like, my father has Parkinson's, and it yeah. you know, causes him to shake really bad. Right. But that, that guy, he didn't, didn't move. I mean, I, I thought he wasn't breathing. Well, you know, one year, uh, uh, many years ago, somebody asked me to do a private show at a head trauma, uh, a, ho- it was a hospital, it was like right. a clinic, but it was an inpatient place, right, right, right. residential, and everybody in there's head trauma. And they go, look, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be about 50 or 60 patients, but there'll be 100 employees there. Oh, okay. So we're doing it, the patients are gonna be there, but go, look, you're not gonna get anything from the, from the patients. patients they yeah. can't. They can't give you. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, they're laughing. Okay. They are, they, they are responding inside. Right. Yeah. They just can't, they, they physically right. can't make it happen. And they said, head trauma patients are not prudes. Right. Generally, right. head trauma patients were high-risk individuals. Yeah. They're people that ride motorcycles. They oh, climb yeah. mountains. They, yeah. they, you know, they do risky things, and, and that's the reason yeah. they have ended up with head trauma. So they told me they go, "Don't be clean." I mean, in other words, just do what you do. Yeah. Just do your regular shit. Hello, Marcella. Marcella. Yes. You can oh, sit right there if you want, Good. next to Bull. Oh, this, we were just talking about the guy in the front row who looks like he's 90 years old and he doesn't react. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? He probably is 90 years old. I was going to... You know who I'm talking He could be 100, you know? <laughs> but I was just talking about I did a show one time for head trauma patients and they couldn't respond. But the nurses and everybody there would. Right, right. And, uh, and, and I, it was so... For me, I was like, okay... I'm gonna I'm gonna play to them and I'm gonna hold, you know what I mean? It's like you hold for your laugh and everything, even right, right. when you're not hearing it, right. you know, kind of a deal. So yeah, that could be it for yeah. an old guy like that sitting in the front yeah. row. He could well, be having. A, he's not getting up and leaving, so he's having fun inside there. Yes, yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, look, when I know when I looked over at one point during my show, it looked like he had a little episode or something. Yeah, he was doing that when I was up there too. And, and she kind of reached over, and I thought she was gonna take him out, but. Nope, she kind of scooted his chair around where he could look at me without turning his head. Oh, you know, well, want to get a better look. Yeah, and she kind of backed him up a little bit, wow. and I go, "Okay, man, all right." <laughs> you know, good for him. You know, stay in your chair. Yeah. Well, he's gonna he's gonna have a panic attack with him. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yeah. 
with my I'm 47. Hero. I have a hard time with him. It's, he's way too much energy oh, for me. Oh, God, yeah. Do it. Hey, uh, I would love, uh, can you arrange, Marcella, a cheeseburger? I can. I can do it all, Les. I can even go back there and make it for you if you want. Fried up in the pan. What was that old song? Uh, no, she's, she's a woman. <laughs> there was some commercial back then. All right. Some fries, too? Yes. I'm going to be bad. No? Nothing? I'll do some chicken strips. Yeah? Chicken strips? Some fries like I'm, like I'm 12. Yes. Chicken strips with ranch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think yes. you might need some ranch. And a, Cider and a, ranch. And a Sam Adams. <laughs> I can do that, too. Thank, right, thank you, Marcella. Side of ranch. <laughs> Side of ranch. I'm doing low carb, and nothing right now sounds better than a cheeseburger and a Sam Adams. That's, <laughs> you could do a cheeseburger, no yeah. bun. Yeah, I just I ate before I got here. That's uh, good. Yeah. I, I tell you, when I when I want my weight to go down, and people look at me and go, "You want your weight to go down, you asshole." But uh, <laughs> dude, I, I ought to punch you right now. <laughs> what do you want to do? But um, but that that's. The, that is, I go, I found that if I strictly will go carbs, not even sugar, mm-hmm. you know, just strictly mm-hmm. bread, pasta, potatoes, you know, just <clears> that <throat> basic shit. If I just kind of don't eat that, it's amazing how much those are the weight, the extra oh, yeah. wasted calories that I just take in. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, but I started this year and I didn't, I wasn't planning on it, but I just, this year start, started and I was sitting at home. And I, I get up generally, and I, I go have my coffee, and I open up my laptop. I kind of give myself an hour, and then I open up the laptop. And once it's like once you go to emails for me, it's like that's a rabbit hole that that's gonna take about three hours to mm-hmm. to get out mm-hmm. of. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not expecting anything. You're going, I've got three or four people I need to, like, contact. Right, right. And then here, let the games begin. <laughs> and so generally, so I thought about the fact that, you know, I was about, I, I, you know, I started about 10 o'clock. So it was right around lunchtime. And I go, I'm not hungry. And I thought, well, then why eat? <laughs> I'm not hungry because right. it's lunchtime. And I thought about how often I would eat. Because I've been programmed to eat at those times. At those times. So I said, you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to eat when, when I'm hungry. hungry. Yeah. Right. And I have found for me, occasionally I want something in the morning. Sometimes I don't. So, yeah. Sometimes a couple. Sometimes it's like two and a half cups of coffee, mm. and I sit down and start getting into writing or answering emails. And next thing I know, usually when I find I'm hungry, it's about one thirty to two o'clock. Yeah. And I go, I'm hungry. And then I want to eat, eat. I want to eat. That's like the, That's why I want to eat like almost my biggest meal. Yeah, right, I want right. to eat. And then, and then generally, I might, I'll, I might have a little snack or I might grab a little something. But then I, I generally, if I'm coming down here to do a show, I won't eat dinner because nah. I ate it too. Yeah, exactly. So then I'll come down here. Hold you over. Do the show, fart around. And by the time I grab something here, uh... It's, you know, it's uh, 8 o'clock, right, 8.30, right. or I go, or I'll just grab a little something here, and then I'll get home, and I'll eat at 9, right. and I like to eat at night, and but, and people go, oh, that's horrible for you. No, it's calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it matters when you eat. I, my weight, 
you know, it's what if you burn twenty five hundred calories right. and you eat twenty four, you're gonna lose weight. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you eat oh, yeah. twenty six, you're gonna gain weight. Are you like it's a just night that out? fucking simple? Do you stay up late though? Because like they mean like don't eat right before you go to bed, basically. Yeah, but but you know what? I do. Now I used to stay up later. Now. Pam and I, we love to watch Colbert to see what rant he's going to go on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's very interesting Trump. now. It's always, <laughs> yeah. well, it's like, I go, if I haven't watched the news all day, I'm like, let's see what Trump's done today. Because <laughs> if he's done something crazy, yeah. Colbert is going to go nuts about it. <laughs> and then you can look up, look it up and see what the fuck really happened. But, um, but anyway, uh, so about the time that, that he's finished with that, well, it's 11, about midnight. Well, it's yeah. about midnight, so somewhere 12 to 12.30 is about the time I kind of go to bed. Right. Now, when I come in on weekends, you know, yeah. 2, you right. know, right. 2, 2.30. But I'll tell you what, I do eat late, and I eat ice cream. <laughs> Sugar. About somewhere an hour before I go to bed, I eat Haagen-Dazs or Ben & Jerry's <laughs> almost every fucking night. Ben & Jerry's, ugh. I know. And, I, and Pam was like... She'll tease me about. Now it's just like she knows, yeah. you know, it's coming, and it's like it's like. Would you ever stop doing that? I go the day that a doctor goes. If you don't stop doing that, right, you're you're easily going to take a lot of years off your life. But he has to tell me that. If the yeah. doctor don't tell, it could already be doing that, but. Does he know though? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you he what. Does. He does I'll, know that. I'll tell you what. The result of ending up dead really depends on the flavor of Ben and Jerry's that you're eating. I mean, I, yeah. New York I, I would, Super Chunk will kill your ass in a heartbeat. I, I would. I would myself. I would risk it for Chunky Monkey. Chunky Monkey. I love Chunky Monkey. Oh, I love it. That's good shit. <laughs> risk it all. Shit. Throw it all out the window. Risk it all for oh, some ice yeah, cream. Absolutely. Yeah. The 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 problem with me is I typically I will buy the little Ben and Jerry's and stuff. Mm. I know it's more expensive because when it comes to like getting a tub of ice cream, I have zero portion control. I will sit and I will eat ice cream. And a buddy of mine, Ken Sons, who Ken, comic, Sons. Ken, Ken goes. There's two kind of people in the world. There's people that take the lid off the ice cream and save it. <laughs> and there's people that take the lid off and throw, throw it in the garbage. garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking true. They man. already know. Yeah, that is me. There's going to be no use for this son it's of a bitch. That day. is me. <laughs> that is me. And I try to get so close to, I get so close to ice cream. Like right now I'm doing low carb. I've been doing it for about a week now. And I start craving ice cream. And the only thing I can do to get close is sit down to a tub of Cool Whip. I can have have Cool Whip. And I'm like, this is horrible ice cream. Oh, God. That's all Um, I can have. Oh, shit. Well, I know it's like, don't pay me. You get, I go, I knew I was getting successful when I could always go to the grocery store and buy Hagen Doss only has vanilla in right, a gallon. Right. Okay. They only make vanilla in a gallon. Right. Then they make quarts of chocolate, strawberry, and the caramel right. douche la douche, whatever the fuck they call it. <laughs> la calouche. So I will go and douche I will la buy douche, douche la douche. douche. That's, a, that's a vinegar flavored it ice cream, is, isn't kinda it? A little bit. It's a little salty. Um, <laughs> Oh, they're playing the Red Wings. Well, of course, they're in a fight. Um, but I keep those three in my in my 
in my freezer at all at all times. <laughs> it's like then then you just throw in the Ben and Jerry's and shit, you know. But yeah. like but like you go, you you come my house, you want ice cream. There's some fucking ice cream, and it, and it ain't Briars. No. Yeah, exactly. It ain't yeah, fucking Mayfields, either. and you know Mayfields. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's what. Well, we grew see, up with. when I was a kid, I know uh, you remember it. I mean, you a little older than me, but remember uh, what well, today they've got? Today they've got frozen yogurt, but when we were younger, it yeah. was called ice milk. Yes, remember that? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ice it was called milk. ice milk. It was yep. made from skim milk, yep. I think, instead yep. of whole milk. Yep. I remember that. Ice milk. Just like use a freaking ice pick to get. It was a little. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. wasn't quite as creamy. As, it wasn't as creamy, <laughs> and sometimes it was grainy. It was. It was. Yeah. It was really cheap. But it was better than nothing. Oh, yeah. That's true. I mean, you didn't complain about it. You know, because your parents would look at you and go, well, you you don't like this? Well, that's just fine with me because we don't need to have this at all. We didn't didn't complain about a lot. Now, when when I was a kid, how old are you? 27. 27 years old? Yeah. When, and how old are you? I was a kid, uh, 47. And I'm 63. So we have all three generations yeah. here. Pretty yes. much, yeah. when, when I was a kid, they had an entire aisle of the grocery store that was dedicated to your generic products. So oh, okay. you didn't have store name products. You had all of your brand name products and then that one aisle full of generic. And you had everything in there from condoms to beer, chips, everything. White and box just, with black box, letters. It was either white or yellow. And then it had a barcode. And it'd say what it is. It was just say chips. And then there'd be a barcode on it. And that's it. <laughs> wow. That's it. I had not seen that before until I moved to Denver. And let's see, that was 1980, right around 1980. I'd never seen that before. And they, yeah. the grocery store's there. And I do remember the beer, which was white can. It just said beer, beer <laughs> on it. <laughs> really? <laughs> when you looked at the small letters on the bottom, it was uh, Falstaff. Oh, was it really? It was Falstaff. Oh. It, it, it was. So a- I realized that most of this stuff came like the cereal was made by Kellogg's or Post or somebody, but it was just some overrun bullshit they had. I got you. Corn yeah. flakes or something right, right. that they could just power out, right. you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I think for the for the longest time, all of those products, when they would come in a blank label like that, was what was government food. When you would get government stuff. You know, uh-huh. Then you always got the plain label stuff because we, we were we were um, really hard times when we were kids and my mom would go and get that stuff. And it was that. And then uh, they had the food stamps, with right, the was... big, colorful money. You, yeah, you didn't you didn't get the debit card like you get today. Big, embarrassing, colorful, colorful money. money. Yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. Uh, where and was it you? That was right around Nashville, right? No, no. We were uh, closer to Knoxville. Uh, oh, I grew okay. up in. I grew up. I it's not a joke. I actually went to school with Kenny Chesney. We were on the right. same football team. Right, yeah. I remember that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was outside of Knoxville. Uh, just outside of Knoxville, was a little area called Luttrell. Oh, okay. Where we were. Yep. Okay. So, yep. Kenny still has a house there too. His tour bus goes by my cousin's house all the time. Oh, cool, cool. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, because I grew up in Chattanooga. Hop yep. and skip away. Well, now you 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 were um, isn't uh, Big Ed Kaler from there too? Isn't yes. Uh-huh. Kaler and. Uh, uh, Janet Janet Williams. Janet Williams. She's from there. Janet Williams. We because we started the comedy catch there. Well, thank you. We started the comedy catch there. Ken Sons actually started it. 
1985. Uh, and the reason he started it was because a comedy club owner shorted him 50 bucks on his pay right here in Sarasota when it was in a little Ramada Inn. And he called me the next day and he goes, I was almost in a fucking fist fight with this asshole over 50 damn dollars less. And Ken, before he got into comedy, was a principal of a school and a close, uh, uh, and a, uh, uh, it was like a rehab uh, place. He was a special ed uh, okay, guy. Yeah. I mean, he was, before he got into comedy, he was, I mean, and you're talking about when I, he was making good money. Right, he was right. making a damn good paycheck. Yeah. And he, and, you know, and he was like, he was like, three years ago, I piss on $50. Right, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And now I'm nearly in a fight with this asshole. And he's an asshole. And he goes, and I was just so wrought up. And I got back to my room and I went, and I went, if that motherfucker can run a comedy club, certainly yeah. I can run a damn comedy right. club. Wow. And so Chattanooga didn't have one, and he went back. That was 1985, and he found a banquet room in a Holiday Inn that would seat uh, 250 people. It used to be a disco, wow. and they weren't doing anything with it. They were you banquet room, and he talked him into letting him do, use it on the weekends, and he uh, he started out doing five shows: two Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday. Charged five bucks at the door, cash, no credit cards. Right. And from the first weekend out of, let's see, that's 1,250 seats, I'll bet he sold no less than 1,000 a weekend. That guy was making $5,000 a weekend, cash money in his pocket. Wow. Like that. And, um, and, uh, uh, but that, since he's paid all the taxes on it. Oh, no, he lost yeah, all Yeah, I bet he didn't money. short anybody he's, $50. That was like drug money. <laughs> it, 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 it went as fast as it came in. It went out. He bought a BMW cash. He bought. He was like a drug lord. And, um, but, Janet, we started uh, – We back then, we started our comedy classes. Um, uh, after about, about the first year, um, we moved it over to a, a regular comedy club out of that banquet room. And um, simply because we went, these open micers are getting on stage and they don't even know how to, they don't even know how to handle a microphone. You know, they don't even know how right. to be up there. Yeah. Let's at least do some classes where these guys at least know what to, how to get up there and, right. you yeah. know, be. And Janet Williams was one of the first people who came through our classes. She was a... Tennessee Tramp? She, Tennessee Tramp. Yeah. She was, a, I think at the time, she was a paralegal or something like that. And I think she was teaching over at University of Tennessee Chattanooga. Wow. Yeah, and she comes through and took our class, and then, wow. you know, she's been doing comedy ever since. You know, wow. yeah, a few few people out of Chattanooga, you know, a few. You know, I, when I first opened down here, I of course tr tried to bring all the the comics from Chattanooga right. that were legit that could handle middling. You know, weren't many that were headlining yet. Yeah, but uh, Ed Kaler wasn't even around back then. I'd bring them down here, and for the most part, their southern accents were so thick, thick yeah. that the people down here who are all northeast and upper Midwest, I mean, they literally couldn't understand them. Wow. You know, it'd be like putting an Irish or yeah. Scottish brogue up there, because you know how it is like, like this. You know, you've got less of an accent than I do, yeah. and I'm about as much as they can take. 
But you got these guys coming in here talking like it's right here, you know. And they were like, holy shit, you know, you know. And uh, the southern guys that that did well down here were Foxworthy and Ron White. But those guys don't have, I mean, Foxworthy's from Atlanta and Ron's from Texas and Ron Shock and, you know, they, they, they all talk as a small bit of dirt. You know, that mumble mouth. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would tell him, I was going, man, you have got to speak more clearly. Yeah. It's That's the reason it's not working. It's not that your shit's not funny. It is. Yeah. These people can't understand what you're saying. You know, uh, you know, um, he's not local. He's out of uh, Orangedale now. Do you remember a comic named Johnny Roberts? You remember Johnny Roberts? I Boy, of course, the name sounds familiar because it's such a generic kind of common yeah. name. Yeah. Got a deep, deep, deep Southern draw. And we were doing the H2O show. And he came up to me one day and he goes, uh, he was talking to somebody around me. And he had mentioned, he said something about me being his family. And uh, I said, Johnny, I said, why are you lying to people? You're not my family. He goes, he looks at me, he goes, well, hell, you Fortner, ain't you? And I said, how, how do you know my family name? How do you know my family's Fortner? He goes, I done told you we were related. Oh, and, shit. Yeah, like down the line, he's apparently related to us, but he's related to Fortner through my family. I'm like, I couldn't even believe it. But <laughs> he's like got, a comedy yeah. stalker. Oh, <laughs> how did you find that out? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Well, I'll, t- wild. I'll tell you, you know, you know what's really cool is um, I went through, it was years ago, I went through the uh, Define, talking about family, I went through uh, the Sally Jesse Raphael show back when she was doing the, um, you know, finding uh, uh, adopted families and putting oh, them yeah, back yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. She was doing right. that. Well, I went on there and I found my real family through there. Oh, you were adopted? Yeah. I was oh, adopted. okay. So I found my real family on there and they tell you, they said, if you take, say you take four kids and they, they grow up in the same family, you'll find all of them are fighting for their own identity. You'll find one kid. Just music-wise, want to listen to country, want to listen to uh, oldies, want to listen to pop, want to listen to, you know, just whatever. But they say if you take those four kids and you separate them, put them in other households, you'll find that they all have uh, similar interests. And I found my real family and my sister out of uh, uh, Omaha, Nebraska is a stand-up comic. Wow. What's her name? Uh, Her name is Christine Watulski. She good? Pretty good. It's it's a hobby for her. Yeah, okay. She does a lot more... um, she does a lot more of uh, the uh, improv troupe stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. She did the the Nick at Night, uh, Mom's Nick at Night yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did one of those. Uh-huh. And then she just contacted me last week, and she was telling me about our cousin. His name is, uh, I think it's Billy Fish. Um, he's out of Michigan. He's doing stand-up comedy now. That's wild. Like, good wow. night. It's that in the family. Runs in the fucking it's family. in the blood, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You know, our daughter's adopted, and she knows her birth family. And... Uh, and the but the main thing when mentioning that how kids that all grow up together are different i know when pam and i were talking about adopting and we were like we we're like you know when you you go through well you know getting the genetics from somebody else and you don't know what you're getting and da 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 and i was like pam how many families we know have three or four kids one of them is a genius one of them is a drug addict that you can't keep out of jail. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other one, you know, likes, uh, you know, to fix cars. Yeah. And, and like you say, they're, they're as different as different can be. 
I know we all know brothers and sisters that aren't close. Yeah. You know, they they, they really, yeah. you know, they're not friends, especially. They, you know, and so I was like, I don't think it, you know, I think, I think kids are just, I don't know. I know, I believe, I believe that genetics have, obviously has a lot to do with it. But I think every baby, I mean, at 63, I've seen now a lot of children that I've watched from birth to now grown up. Right. And you know what? The little personality that they had in their first year is the same personality right. they have right now. Right. They're just kind of people, whether it's their soul or whatever it is that makes them them. Right. And, and – uh, to me, and that's the, that's the thing that, to me, it makes you go, people have souls, you right. know, that there's something that just makes them uniquely them, because, yeah. you know, because I've seen people go through environmental things that you would think would really change them, really make them different from their basic core, how they were. Yeah. Not really. Not yeah. really. Really? You know, not a lot. <laughs> you know, they're just how they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know cool. your, I didn't know your daughter was adopted. Now, yep. Does she does she connect with the the real family? Yeah. Well, the thing that happened with us was, and she does she doesn't, you know, she has an okay relationship with them, you know, but uh, but uh, unfortunately, and it's just a, the reason she is adopted is because that family had issues and some problems and challenges and things mm-hmm. that if they didn't, yeah. well, she wouldn't be with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. And those and those issues and things like that are, you know, the way Taylor's been brought up and the way uh, the way that birth family, even with, with siblings and stuff that, that were are there, have been brought up. They're just they're just very different. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, and a lot of it comes from just, you know, poverty and mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing and you know, so She's tried to connect, and I think out of all the siblings, there's one that her and him kind of, you know, when yeah. they talk, and they get along. They get along and can yeah. get along, yeah. you know, I think the others. So, you know, but that was, you know, one of the things that I think we learned that in, in her case that we would have done differently was when she was born, her, her birth mother had four kids total. One was adopted, Taylor. She had two daughters, older, and then after Taylor, she had one more son. Basically, every time she had a new husband, she was going to have a baby yeah. with that husband. And so the one, the, young, the daughter that was closest to Taylor's age was the same birth father. So we go, not only does she have a sister, she's a full sister, same mother, same father. And they only lived about an hour and a half away. And we thought, you know, and a lot of it was me. I was like, you know, I think it'd be a shame that they don't meet each other until we got burgers and fries. (laughs) Lovely. Thank you. Mm, That's great. That's that's an Oscar burger. Those are famous. (laughs) Those are famous. Only available at McCurdy's Comedy Theater. Thanks, Marcella. You're welcome. So... Um, I was ahead with this. Uh, so I how similar they are? Oh, uh, 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 the yeah. Here was the deal: was the fact that here the, you have these two girls. They're only a year and a half different. They live close. I thought, what a shame it would be that they meet 
when they're 20 and realize yeah. that they grew up an hour and a half from each other. Yeah. And we never yeah. allowed them to connect. And I said, that just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. And so what we would do was that we stayed in touch, touch with the birth mom. We said, look, why don't we every so often, at least twice a year, maybe three times, we'll just meet somewhere like McDonald's right. has a big playground. You yeah. know, we'll have lunch, let the kids play, take pictures. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at least they grow up knowing each other wow, and, really and da da da. And so, and then you just kind of let that evolve. And. And unfortunately, it did, didn't work out to where they ended up growing up to be friends because they were just too different. Right. Uh, but, but in hindsight, that I wouldn't have done that because it's too much for the kids. They, it's really confusing. It's yeah. confusing. You know, right. here on either side, here is the kid that's adopted going, that's my, that's my birth family, mm -hmm. you know? And am I supposed to be like them? And am I supposed to be? Yeah. Da, da, da. Here's the birth. Here's the kids in the birth family that are barely getting by, you know, struggling. Right. Taylor's got everything. She's an only child. Right. Parents are successful. Right. She's got everything she could possibly want. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Is that fair? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like two different worlds. It's almost. two different worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the most fair thing would have been if we could have adopted the other the yeah. other little girl if we could have gotten both of them yeah. you know yeah. but that wasn't gonna happen so in hindsight if i was counseling a parent that was in that situation i would say you know what it seems like you should do it that way but it's too the kid yeah Adults can figure it out, but they can't figure it yeah. out, you know. So you are better off to wait until to just tell her you're adopted. Ha tell the other kid you have a, a sister that we adopted. We yeah. we we needed yeah. to to be able to take care of everybody. Right. And when you turn 18, I am going to tell you who they are, where we'll stay in touch. Right, right. As long as we both stay. And then when they turn 18, I'll tell you who they are, where they are, whole nine yards. Yeah. And if you want to go connect, I'm, I'll support that a thousand percent because you know what I mean. They but can, yeah, did she, did she know from early on that oh, she yeah. adopted? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, from that's it, the way as early on. Did. Yeah, you need to tell them. I always, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, it's not good to hide. Yeah, that. you you yeah. want that kid to know. I mean, Taylor knew as soon as she could understand anything that yeah. she was adopted. Well, oh, my good. my parents, I grew up knowing it from day one. Mm -hmm. I knew the word adoption, but I realized how hard it was when I adopted my daughter because my oldest daughter's adopted, and we had got to a point where you know I would be talking with the kids. Tara was still really little, and I'd be talking with the your kids. daughter's name Tara. Yeah, and yeah. my sister. Is it? Yeah, but we would. I would talk to the kids and uh you know we would say uh tell my son Balin I'm like you got dad's eyes and Tegan you have dad's nose and we would go back and forth and Tara would always ask well what do I have that's daddy's and I could only say my heart I could only say that to her right. and after a while she got tired of hearing that answer and she wanted to hear something more so it was just about Christmas time I didn't want to ruin Christmas but I told my wife at the time I said I can't I can't do this anymore I said I have to tell her so I pulled, I 
took my daughter aside and we sat in the bedroom and I explained it to her and I was just in tears telling her this because right. I was afraid that she wouldn't love me the way that she did. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and uh, she, uh, I, when I was done telling her, I said, do you have any questions? And she was so little less and she looks at me and she said, she said, yes, I do. She goes, but you can't handle it right now. And I just started crying so oh much harder. Yeah. It's like she was always, oh, she's wow. already How old so was she old. when she said she, that? She couldn't have been five, six years old. Right, she was right. so little. Uh-huh. I wanted to make sure that she was able to comprehend, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And to means. this day, she is so similar to me. She's more similar to me than the blood kids. I mean, she's so similar. Everything sure. about her is the same thing. Yeah. My mom used to have a saying. My mom's a, um, is the, it's her family that's from Tennessee. But she used to have a saying. She said, if you feed it, it'll look like you. So and everything else follows. You feed it, it'll act like you. You know, yeah. it's and she does. She acts just like me. It's a nature versus nurture. Oh, no, well, oh, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And, uh, and you know, as, you know, to this day, and of course, I'm religious enough that I believe in God and I believe mm-hmm. that I believe in a, you know, an intelligent God that get, cares, yeah, right. <laughs> that knows and cares. Right. Not, and, um, but I just go, you know, Taylor, when all comes down, we can all look back at it, you know, in hindsight, and go, if you weren't supposed to be here, you wouldn't have been here. Yeah. You know, I mean, things, you look at how everything came together and right. how we ended up, you know, with you, how you ended up with us. And now Taylor all day long can look back at her life and go, thank Goodness, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I hit the lottery. Right. You know sure. what I mean? That that uh, that it that it worked out. And I go, you know, and your you know your birth family was smart enough to know it too. I mean, yeah. or it wouldn't yeah. have happened. They were, you oh, know, sure. they were. They made a good decision. Too, yes, they did. Right. They made a great choice. Were they kids decision. at the time? Ah, uh, because I know my folks were just teenagers. No, they were in their twenties. Were they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's so funny is I was born in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and here it is years and years and years later. I'm on uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, you know, their website for uh, BigHugs.com, and I found, I put in all my information, and it lined up with this lady named Joyce Boldan, and everything was perfect. Everything was the same, and I went in, and I told my ex-wife, I said, you got to come in and see this. I said, I think I found my mom. And when we came back into the computer, it was gone. What? So I spent another hour putting everything back in again, and it wouldn't pop up. Uh-huh. And immediately I get a call from BigHugs.com. They said, look, they said, usually we have to research this for like weeks. They said, this is your mother. They said, everything wow. is the same. And they wanted to fly us to New York to be on the Sally Jesse Raphael show for Mother's Day. Uh-huh. Big reveal and stuff. But when they called my mother, she suffered from narcolepsy. Mm. And she was afraid that she was going to fall asleep on the stage. Right. And she didn't want to be embarrassed. So they said, well, you know what? <clears throat> they said, well, we still want to find out some other stuff. And as they were uh, asking her to uh, uh, re-give them some of the information, they screwed up and said something they shouldn't have. And she realized that they found me. So they just went ahead and gave her the information. They gave uh. me the information. She was in uh, 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 a big lake. Okeechobee. Okeechobee. Yeah. It's up in Lake Okeechobee. Oh, so oh, from shit. all that all that distance from here to Michigan, she was just hours away from me. I went and saw her. Wow. And then as I was talking to her, I told her what area I live in, and she said, "Yeah, I got a friend that lives over in that area." She goes, uh, "His name is Gordon. He works at a, a gas station over on Ninth Street in uh, St. Pete, uh, over near Ninth and Gandy." And I said, 
Are you talking about full service Gordo? I said, I've been, <laughs> I've been dealing with Gordon for years. I said, he's not my dad, is he? And she said, no. <laughs> no. Like, I've been dealing with this guy for 20 years, and he's small best world. friends with my mom. Ain't that crazy. It's, it is That's such a small crazy. world. It is small world. It ain't six degrees of separation. It's like mm -hmm. three, maybe. Oh, yeah. It oh, really yeah. is. That's how close we are as, as a culture. That's a great story. We know comedian Julie Scoggins, she just found her mother, her birth mom, God, I think two years ago, right. two or three, and she was over in Orlando, and she found she found her, and then she found her on Facebook. What? And they, she started to kind of, you know, watch her and da da, da and she would she friended her, you know, and da da da. I think was the way it works. What she told me. And then there was a point where she messaged, she messaged her through uh, Facebook, oh my gosh. and and somehow she let her know that I think I'm your daughter, and if you don't if you don't want this to go any further, I totally get it. You know what I mean? You know I totally get it. I'm not gonna I don't want to force the issue or anything, and I think it was. I don't know if I think the way Julie tells it, I don't think it happened immediately, mm -hmm. but you know, so she wasn't quite sure. But then at some point, she was like, "No, nah, man, that's cool." Wow. Went over there, and of course, now they have a. Uh, yeah, that's a cheeseburger, baby. That's the. That's a cheeseburger. That's an Oscar burger. That was an eight. And a, yes, right it there. is, and a Sam Adams. <laughs> so anyway, that's a great story, man. You know, uh, Chris Coles just found his family. Oh, really? He literally just found his family, and it was maybe a month ago, and they just flew down to visit with him. They spent time with him. Uh, he, he had pictures uh, online on Facebook of him bringing his family up on stage with him while he was performing. His mom and his sister, I believe, came to visit him. Oh, that's cool. But, yeah, that was very, I was very happy to see it. He was so – he was ecstatic. He was just ecstatic. Well, you know, I, I mean – I wish more – when people are – you know, it's just like if you're – if you are if you want to have children and you're able, you know, you're, you're able. You know, and, that, and when I say able to raise a kid, you don't have to have money. You don't have to be rich. You know what I mean? We, you can be just getting by and raise yeah. kids fine. You know what I mean? I mean, hell, Dolly Parton's the superstar that, you know, yeah. from, from that, you know? Yeah. That, she grew up on the other side of Oak Ridge from my mom. My mom absolutely, was Dolly. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 we'll always say, we had a great life. We did. Yeah. We loved each other. We had a good life. We didn't know we were poor, yeah. you know. And um, you know, you don't have to. You just, but if you're able and and you can, well, then as I tell people, you know, have the children and do it and have a great family and have a great life. But don't. I just wish you'd get through to people. You don't need to raise a child when you just because you had a child. Yeah. You know what I mean? There should be no guilt or anything there. If you're not, if you're not parent material, right. Don't try it. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. You know, it yeah. is. It's tough, there man. Should, there should be like a parent aptitude test or something. Like oh, that. of course there should be. <laughs> I mean, you know, but I think so many parents just go well. I didn't want to be a parent. I wasn't planning on being a parent. Right. I don't really like the idea of being a parent, but I got pregnant or whatever, so right. I'm just going to 
you know, do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And they get pressure from their families and everything. And, you know, and I'm like, no, man. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't feel like you have to. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. I was definitely parent material. I, I am just absolutely in love with my kids. Well, you don't say you're a new granddad. Brand new granddad. I'm a new granddad. How, boy or girl? Little girl. Well, she's she's eight months now, so I mean. We got a little boy three months. Yeah. And my daughter, you know, as soon as that baby was born, even months, you know, I would say even about two or three months before the baby was born, it focused her in a way we've never seen in our entire life. It was like the miracle of miracles. I mean, it. She was. A, she said it. She goes, "I was born to be a mom." Yeah. yeah. I love every bit of it, even when he's fussy and getting up three times a night makes me giggle. Oh, yeah. You know, it, I, she doesn't get. Right. And she was born to be a mom, and and you know, I mean, it's just a wonderful thing to watch. Yeah. That's you Did you find her maturity level changed within that time frame? She matured five years in five months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, when she first told me she was pregnant, I was like, well, I'd like to be thrilled about this, but you've never taken care of you. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And now you, I go, you, I mean, you got to be able to do this because I'm not raising, I mean, in my head, I go, I don't want to raise a baby between 63 and 83. I mean, myself. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to do this. And I'll tell you, man. There was nothing in her background that said I could feel confident that she was going to be able to pull that off yeah. at that point. But it's like every month that went by, it she just seemed back. like she changed. She got, she was doing things she'd never done before. She was hitting responsibility levels she'd never hit before. She was gaining a confidence we'd never seen before. And that just kept going. And now that she's had the baby, I mean, the same, same thing. And I mean... It's just, it's amazing. You know, it's just an amazing thing. It's, it's a beautiful awesome. thing. Yeah, beautiful thing. You know. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It really it's is. a blessing in disguise, if you will. It's a, it's a miracle. It, it's the most miracle of anything I've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah. And you and Pam are going to spoil that kid. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Pam's already got a sign at the front door that says, she's Gigi. She's Gigi. <laughs> Which I love because that's what I call her in heels. Um, <laughs> she's, she's Don't got make little, it dirty. Don't make it dirty. She's got, a little, <laughs> she's got a little sign at the front door that says, what happens at Gigi's stays at Gigi's. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor came and she goes, I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> I go, well, get used to it. <laughs> that's funny. And uh, it's cute. Already, he's only three months. And already... I was telling Taylor, I said, just in the past two or three weeks, he fusses if I hold him up to my chest, you know, like on my shoulder, just cradle him, you know, cuddle him like that. He'll fuss. And then as soon as I put him on my knee sitting up, happy as a clam. He's like, nah, man, I don't, I don't want you holding me that way. Yeah. <laughs> put me on your knee like I'm a boy. You're a guy. I'm a guy. Sit me on the knee. Let's watch the ball game. <laughs> yeah, the, this is awkward. Was, the, cu- the cuddling shit. He was we, born. We did that. That was after eight weeks. We're done with that shit, right? And I. He, said, he was born and, a man's man. And, and Taylor goes, "That's the way he is with me now." I said, "But you know who the only person that can cuddle him? 
Gigi. Gigi. Gigi can still – and Taylor's like, that pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. said, hey, it pisses me off. <laughs> you know, I'm second fiddle now. I don't even get to do that. <laughs> Shit. You know. Oh, God. Oh. They went and got him a leprechaun outfit the other day because St. Patty's coming up. <laughs> And I even supported it. I shouldn't have. <laughs> and she sent me a picture with that on with the little hat and everything. He's got a real man face. You know how babies can be androgynous? You don't yep. know if they're boy or girl. This one's like, That's he looks like a little old man. He yeah. does. He's like a little old bald man. And uh, they put that thing on. I go, oh, my God. Yes, he he's the fucking leprechaun. Yeah. <laughs> he looks just like it. It's hilarious. <laughs> I said, I'll see that picture one day and. Pam, Pam said, I'm going to tell him you encouraged this. I said, I know. I'll, I'll tell him. I'll apologize. <laughs> Ain't going to let it happen anymore. Oh, man. Damn, Detroit's beating. Tampa Bay's. Tampa Bay's had a little little losing streak here going into the end of the season. But I don't think that's wholly bad. I mean, I think they still got the best record in hockey. And Tampa? Yeah. Oh, they do. I feel like the every year they have a great Well, this year season. especially. And I'm hoping that go ahead and get your – you know, going into the playoffs, everybody's healthy. Go ahead and get these out of the way. Right. You, you know, lose a few games right now. They were on a streak there for a little while, you know. But it's amazing when you tell people that Tampa, we have baseball, we have football, we have soccer, we have hockey, and it's a hockey town. Oh yeah, I know. it is a hockey town. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. The fir- one of my first headlinings, uh, I was looking for uh, somebody to feature for me, and nobody was available. So I took my buddy Chris Gorgeous. Now Chris mm. is the most one of the short of him. He's one of the most energetic comics on yes. stage when he's yes. going. And I for probably for about a month, I I would call Chris all the time, and I say, look, just. Dial it down. This is my first time headlining. Just dial it down for me. <laughs> Just dial it down. So on the day of the show, we got out to Lakeland to do the show. And uh-huh. I told him, I said, you know, I said, I feel awful. I said, I want you to go up there and do what you do. If I can't follow you, I'll never do it again. But I want you to go up and have as much fun as I plan on having. Mm-hmm. Let's let's do this. So he gets up on stage and it's um, it's uh, it's winter circle. So it's a sports bar. And they're playing hockey on there, and it's Tampa versus Boston. And so Chris gets up there, and the first thing that he has the MC announce is he's a Boston comic. And they booed him for the first five minutes. Oh, God. I got up there. My first line, my first line was, I said, Chris would have been better by telling you people he was from Iraq. I said, because... Go up there when Boston's beating the hell out of Tampa and telling me from Boston they're gonna hate you. Did you hear the guy in the audience when I was talking to had a girl birthday? Uh, your husband here, yeah. What's his name? Manuk. Manug. Manug. You go Manug. I go, what's that? She goes, he's Armenian. I said, do you speak enough English to understand? I said, are you first generation? He goes, yes. You know, I said, do you understand enough English? Do you understand what I'm saying? With my southern accent, he goes about sixty percent. I said, "Oh, that's good in stand-up comedy." Sixty. <laughs> I said, "Just play along with the others, just, you know." Just nod and smile. So, you can work with that. So I was talking back and forth to him, and that, so he was getting comfortable. We're having fun. He goes, "Yes, yes, I am that, and I'm a terrorist too." And the crowd <laughs> went 
They did not laugh. They would not laugh. And I was like, Manuga, I give you this, man. Nice attempt. <laughs> Your timing was way the fuck off. <laughs> but good shot. I know where you're headed with it. You know? The comedy's hard, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. That's funny. I had a lady in here one night. It was her birthday. Accent. Where are you from? And she she hesitated. And, was like, and it was a little awkward. I could tell it was a little awkward. Of course, you can't see them. Yeah. They're in the dark. And she goes, I ran. Like that, I ran. I'm like, ugh. Like she knows not to say it. And I went, beautiful accent, beautiful accent. I want to say something to you because I want you to understand this. All this audience and me all know that 90% of the world are good, kind, wonderful people. 10%'s fucking it up for everybody. I don't care where you're from. That's everybody. And everybody applauding, da da da. You know, and after the show, she came up to me and gave me a big hug. She goes, I'm the woman from Iran. And we both shed a tear. I mean, it was like a little bit. And oh, yeah. she, she was like, she goes, she goes, she goes, it was like, when you said that, I could breathe, you know? Right. And uh, I said, but everybody does know that. Everybody yeah. does know that it's, it's, it's a small percentage of anywhere mm-hmm. that, are, that are this fucked up leadership, yeah. you know, with these radical militant motherfuckers, you know, that, that really rarely represents the population base. Oh, yeah. The population wants to raise their family, go to work, make a decent amount of money so that every they can have a house and, and the kids can go play soccer and, yeah. and go to school. I mean, and just... Uh, Back over there. He looked like he just ran a marathon, yeah. Well, I guess we gotta go out and shake hands, huh? Yeah, well, we're gonna wrap this up then. <laughs> just like that. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Please go to our website, McCurdy'sComedy.com, for all of our upcoming shows. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And if you liked Eric Myers, please follow him at, at Eric Myers Comedy. And also uh, look up Bill, Bill Bull Ose. That's Bill Bull Ose, the last name O-H-S-E. And uh, please uh, stay tuned for our next episode next week. Thank you.